0: If you've got your Bibles, open them up to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 12 through chapter 4, verse 1, if you have them, open them uh, to that point. If not, we're going to have the verses up on the screen for you. You can follow along with us there. Let me start by asking this question. Do you ever get around an old teammate or friend and, and start to tell stories about back in the day? Start to tell stories about the glory days? Have you ever run into an old teammate and just kind of had the the reliving of the glory days moment? Sometimes I run into old teammates uh, from a high school basketball team or a junior high basketball team and uh, from a YMCA team that I was just barely made because you have to make it because they don't cut people. Anyway, so sometimes I run into people like that, and um, it's really, really fun to um, rehash the interactions that we used to have and uh, talk about the shared experiences that we used to have. And typically, that my interaction goes a little bit like this. Man, do you— Do you remember that time when we played Burke High School? Remember junior year when we were down by six, and there was a minute and a half left to go, and the coach just, uh, they put us in that diamond press, and we just started trapping, and we we got those turnovers. Do you remember when we came back and we won that game? Man, do you remember that 6'10 kid? He was so huge, but he was so soft. Do you remember him? Hey, man, you remember when we went to Vegas on that AAU basketball team, and we traveled, and we got our first tournament win, and the coach took us to that bomb Chinese restaurant? Do you remember how crazy that was? Man, you remember going to la remember when remember when marcus went baseline and dunked on that kid Oh my gosh, that was so nasty Do you remember when you kicked it out to me and I hit that three in the corner and we won the game and over that was so crazy and you just go like 18 year old version of yourself for a long time and like You know the story about how big of a fish you caught used to be this big Now it was this big and we were kind of good, but we were actually really good The older you get everything gets better and so um and then you kind of start to realize, you've been at Walmart having this conversation for 10 minutes and not had any kind of adult interaction, like, how are you actually doing? What are you doing with your life, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and in that moment, something kind of awkward happens. It's like there's a totally different tone that enters into the conversation, where there used to be all this, like, vitality, life, and excitement about the glory days. Now it's like, yeah, man, you know, I, I got a couple kids, you know, I'm just still working at that store, you know, I'm just grinding, you know, doing me. You know I still play up at the Y a little bit with my friends, you know, we still I still do work up at the Y though, you know, we're like, okay Well, that's neat, you know, and I think We can kind of laugh at that But I I don't know if you had that interaction with a high school guy who was the all-star back in the day And it's just kind of sad and small because so much of their identity worth and value is still wrapped up in what used to be What was present back then but you talk about what's present right now, and there's just not a whole lot of life and passion and goals and excitement, it's kind of like their perspective is still back over here, and they can't quite live in the present. And I think that narrative, when you actually evaluate that narrative, it's very easy for us to evaluate why it's kind of sad, why it's kind of small, why it's kind of unhealthy. There's something that doesn't seem right about that, that somebody used to be alive back in the glory days, and now they just feel like they're probably drifting through life. And um, I want to say Christian's... That is entirely possible for us That's entirely possible to be our narrative For us to talk about the glory days When God used to seem like he was on the move When God was really real to us And now in the present For God not to be so real to us in this moment It's entirely possible for that narrative To be playing itself out in our narrative And here's what that narrative sounds like I want to ask you if you've heard this, this tone with people Or maybe if this is your story I, mean, I remember when I, w- I went to that kids camp when I was a junior high kid or I was a little kid, I and mean, every summer I'd go to that camp and it felt like God would meet me in that place. Man, I remember in college there was that upperclassman who pulled me aside and started discipling me. And man, they didn't run when I shared the messy parts of my life. God was healing me and doing some things in my life in such a unique way. Man, I remember during this time in my life where I repented of some sin and Jesus was giving me victory in areas of my life I never thought I would see victory. Man, I I remember there was this time in my life where I actually got up early in the morning. And I got away from the chaos of life, and I spent time in God's Word. And I'm telling you, man, it was such a crazy season because I felt like Jesus was speaking to me personally. So how are you doing in your relationship with God now? You know, well, I still go to church. You know, I'm still trying to do some things. You know, I still, I'm, I'm a part of a group. Sometimes we hang out. But it's like as far as that vibrancy and that intimacy with Christ... It looks like their faith was fully alive back here, but now it's just settled into some version of Christianity that's safe and kind of sterile. And what I love about Paul is Paul is going to speak to us today in Philippians chapter 3, and he's saying, God wants more for you. God wants more for you. God wants to meet you in the present. And so this morning, I'm excited to open up our Bibles and uh, look at uh, chapter 3 in Philippians because I want us to see uh, as a church how Paul— who's been a Christian at this point for 30 years, is not living in the glory days of the past, but he's still passionately pursuing Jesus in the present. City Light, I want that for us, and I think we would be wise to learn from him today. So if you've got your notes or your bulletin, pull them out. I've got a couple uh, fill-in-the-blanks. I kind of changed the outline of my sermon, hashtag last-minute writing, and so... um, and I have basically one point. I'm going to talk about what it looks like for us to strain forward in our faith, to continue to be peddled down. Let's pursue King Jesus in the present. And uh, I'm going to have four subpoints with that. And so you'll have a—you'll uh, figure it out as we go along. Let me, um, let me explain what's going on in the context of our verses in chapter 3 right before um, we jump into our present text. So earlier in chapter 3, verse 7, Paul says, "...whatever gain I had I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Everything is rubbish in order that I might gain Christ." Then later in verse 10 and 11, what he does is he starts to talk about his desire to experience Jesus in the here and now. He says, I want to know the resurrection power in me. I want to experience Christ. Whatever means possible, even if I have to suffer, let me suffer so that I can be familiar with Christ because Christ suffered. And so even in my suffering, if that's what you've got to use so that I can experience Christ in a greater way, pour on some more suffering. Now, I look at those verses, and then I look at my prayer life, and I go, really? They don't really match up. Is that has that been your prayer this week? Jesus, give me more suffering, so I can know you with greater detail. Pour that on. I mean, this week my daughter um, has been waking up at five thirty uh, uh, in the a.m. Not at night. Five thirty a.m. Which, other than like the the few of you who are seventy five and you can't sleep past four a.m., that that is just a horrible time to be awake. Okay. That, that, That is a very difficult time for me to be spirit-filled. And so most days when I wake up, my prayer is, Lord, is there a time for me to sneak in a nap in my car in the parking lot? Like, is that that possible today or is that weird? And And then where is the largest coffee? What is legally the most amount of coffee I can buy, you know? I want caffeine is what I want. So when life gets full and life gets fast for me, I don't say, Jesus, pour on some suffering. I say, Jesus, lead me to a Starbucks. Would you please? Would you please lead me there? And so it's easy to look at Paul's life and see the way that he hungered for Christ and say, dude, you are just at a different level. And Paul is aware of that dynamic that we could read the previous verses in chapter three and say, man, Paul seems like he's arrived. And so what he's gonna do is he's mindful that the Philippians might make that mistake and we might make that mistake. And so he's gonna start... Our verses, not by boasting in his strengths, but actually confessing that he's imperfect, confessing that he's a work in progress, confessing that he still needs the grace of Jesus Christ. And so um, my first sub point if you're following along and you're taking notes is um, I want to talk about how we strain forward in our relationship with Christ, even in our imperfect condition. Even in our imperfect condition. And here's what that means: all of us, we need to understand that we're a work in progress spiritually. You blow it, and I blow it. And if you, if you think you're perfect, raise your hand, and your spouse will remind you of why you still have issues right now, okay? And so all of us are in this commonplace where we're, we're imperfect. We've got stuff we're going through. But what I love about Paul is he's going to see his imperfections, but yet he's going to continue to press on to make much of Christ Jesus. So let me read verse 12 for you and explain how this gets worked out in our text. Verse 12, chapter 3. He says this. Not that I've already attained this, which is perfection, or am already perfect, but I press on to making my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul, in this moment, is being refreshingly honest about his current spiritual condition. He says, I'm not already perfect. Baseline, I still struggle. I still got some stuff in my life. And, and this is typical Paul um, because he, he, in other places, in the Bible said, Man, I, I am the chief sinner. I am the worst that's out there. I, I, I have stuff I'm still dealing with. He even says, I do the very thing that I don't want to do. The thing that I do want to do, I don't do. Have you ever had that dynamic in your life? That's what Paul's confession is. And it's interesting, and it's actually in some way comforting to me. Because I'm a pastor. I'm like a professional Christian. <laughs> do you ever, that's like, what do you do? I'm like so pro jesus this is what I do. I say, I say words on stage about Jesus. Like I, it's kind of a, it's a weird thing for me because I've been following Jesus for 15 years and I have this weird feeling like I should be farther along than I really am. Like I'm just waiting for you to figure out how broken I am and for you to find a different pastor. I mean, that's kind of the real, I mean, that's, have you ever dealt with that? Now this is going to be fun for you and hard for me. So enjoy this moment. Um, um, I'm just going to confess to you just this last week, how dumb I am. Okay. And so, this last week, I um, graduated a few weeks ago um, with my uh, master's in biblical studies, which means that I wrote papers. Yeah, you can clap, whatever. Yeah. Here. Thank you, guys. Which, which basically means you're just as dumb as you were before, but they, they passed you. Okay? So, um, so I, I, I got through school, and so my wife's like, what do you want for graduation? And I said, I want dumbbells. I want a set of dumbbells. Now, you might say, that's interesting. So my wife goes and buys a set of dumbbells. And so, um, I'm all excited. I got these dumbbells in my basement. And let me just tell you my heart motivation. You're like, oh, that's cool. Like, he's 32. He's trying to keep himself in shape. He wants to stay a good steward of his body. No, not, that's not my desire. My actual desire is, I know it's summertime, and I want to look toned up in a bro tank. Okay? Like... (laughs) It, it, it's not like, oh yeah, you're gonna just, you know, you're really gonna discipline yourself. No, I'm gonna eat four donuts this morning. Okay, like, so I'm not, I'm not pursuing health. I'm pursuing vanity. So this week, I'm just in my basement getting my curls on, listening to my '90s rap, doing me, and then I'm just like, this is so dumb. What am I doing? Like, I'm still trying to be 17 years old. Like. Stop flexing in the mirror and realize nobody cares how big your muscles look. That's just dumb. It's a dumb game. Do you see how shallow that is? I am a 33-year-old male that's balding doing curls in my basement because I want you to think I'm toned. Like, that's where I'm at, okay? And you guys are like, oh, my gosh, you're so immature. It's Memorial Day weekend, and I know, I know there are some of you in this, in this room that you ate salad, drank water, and did a sit-up because you know you're going to the pool this weekend. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Now, I'm not the only one playing this game, all right? I, if you want me to start calling people out, I can. Now, so that's my struggle. It's a real thing. And Paul, he doesn't confess what his is, but he says, I'm still struggling. But what I love about Paul— is Paul models to us that there is a good and God-honoring way to struggle. We all struggle. Paul struggled. We all know our imperfections. But two things can happen. You can struggle in the way that says, I'm still imperfect spiritually. I've still got messiness, comparisons, insecurities, inadequacies. And you can look at your mess, and you can say, you know what? I'm not going to let Jesus into this. I'm going to try to clean myself up. I'm ashamed of my sin, so I'm going to hide from God. I'll play the church thing, but I'm not really going to let Jesus into the messy things of my life. That's, that's option one. Or you can be like Paul that says, I'm imperfect, but I'm pressing on. I'm still messy, but I am going to get up and I'm going to run after Christ Jesus because I know Jesus can give me the power to experience victory in my life. I know Jesus is the one that will forgive me, even in areas of my life that are broken. I know that Jesus is the one that will accept me, even though I feel so dirty and messy. Jesus is his power. And he's saying, I am going to struggle, but that's not going to paralyze me spiritually. I'm going to get up and run the race. Amen? Amen. Amen. And I think that's a better posture of the Christian life than trying to pretend that we're awesome and walk in a way that we've outgrown grace. No, no, no. Let's be very honest about our, our current spiritual condition. We are all imperfect. We've all got stuff in our lives. Mine just has to be a both set of dumbbells in my basement, but that's me, okay? I don't know what your current situation is, but I'm saying I think this is a really healthy thing that Paul's modeling. He's saying I'm imperfect, but I'm pressing on. May that be the posture of our church. Now, point two, I want to show some some other things in this. Just this first very first verse, um, the next thing that he shows us is he's going to talk to us about our heart motivation for pursuing Christ, our heart motivation for pursuing Christ. Um, and the reason that this is important is um, I can, you can look at two different people, and they're doing very similar things spiritually. They both go to church on Sunday. They're both part of a city group. They both listen to K-Love because you're going to sing... You know, I love Jesus in my car and and that's all good. And you both wake up early and read their Bibles and they both pray regularly and they've got a journal and they both do all of these really, really, really good things. And it's very possible for them to be motivated to be doing those things out of two totally different heart postures. One, like Andrew said last week, could be doing it to earn something from God, feeling like if I do the right things, then God will finally count me worthy and then I'll finally be worthy of his love and then I'll finally be good enough and then I'll finally have a righteousness of my own as Andrew talked about last week, he's trying to build a spiritual resume. The other person could simply be doing it out of a heart response to the grace that God has shown them. And that's Paul. He's looking at what Jesus has done in his life, and he's saying, how could I not help but to pursue this Jesus? Let me show you how this plays out. Verse 12, I'm going to reread it. It says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but look at this. But I press on to make it my own. I, I press on to make Christ my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul's motivation for seeking Jesus is in response to the reality that Jesus first sought him and saved him. Paul's story is that at one point in his life, he was running from God, and God didn't let him get away. God came running after Paul and rescued Paul. Let me me remind you of Paul's story. Remember, Paul was in an evil and dark place. He was in Jerusalem persecuting capturing, hunting, and killing Christians. That's a pretty horrible place to be, okay, just in case you're wondering. That's not a great place, and so he, he basically did that in Jerusalem as a Pharisee, and then he said, I'm going to expand my, um, my, my persecution of the local church all the way to Damascus, and so he starts traveling along the road, and Jesus shows up in that moment and speaks to Paul, humbles Paul, and in that very moment, Paul moves from a guy who hated Jesus, to a man who followed Jesus and who a man who fell in love with Jesus. That's Paul's story. Paul's story is a man who was so far from God and yet was rescued by the grace and love for God. Paul was in a very dark place, and Jesus came and ransomed his heart. So for Paul, when he says, I'm going to press on towards Christ, this is not Paul trying to earn his salvation. This is Paul working out his salvation. Paul can't help but run towards the God who saved him, forgave him, and has been sustaining him in ministry for 30 years. He has to get around that God. Now, um, one of the things I want to show you in this text is um, I want you to circle the words. If you have your Bibles, you pull out a pen, borrow somebody's pen, get a highlighter. If you've got your your Bible on your phone, highlight this very end of this text. But I press, I want you to circle these words. At the very end of verse 12, he says, but Christ Jesus made me his own. When I was reading this this week, this is is a verse that I just just paused and I had to stop and realize uh, I need to worship Jesus Christ. City Light Church, if you're a Christian, this is our testimony. But Christ Jesus has made me his own. Your story and your relationship with Christ doesn't start because you decided you wanted to go to church. Because you wanted to stop doing some bad stuff. Because you wanted to clean up your life. Your walk with Jesus started when God looked at you and said, you're messy but you're mine. You're broken, but you're mine. You've got fears and insecurities, but I'm going to make you mine. God came after us not because we were awesome, cool, spiritual, not because we had some special talent, some special gifting. He came after Paul when he was at his worst, and he said, I'm going to make you mine. That's the one way seeking, unconditional, unearned love of God. Amen? Amen. He made us his. It's incredible. And so when that's your story and my story and Paul's story— we don't just say, Jesus, hey, thanks for the grace. Can't wait to see you in heaven. Let me do the next 50, 60 years of my life on my own. We say, man, if that's the place that we find this unconditional love, if this is the, the heart of God is to say, I'm going to make you mine, you can't help but want to get around that God, amen? There's a posture that says, I'm not going to find that anywhere else. I got to get around that God. You know, there's a moment in the New Testament where the disciples, Jesus said, hey, are you guys going to leave? He gave a pretty awkward sermon, and he got— a lot of people left, and he said, are you going to leave? Are you guys on your way out? And the disciples said, where else would we go? Where else are you going to go to find an unconditional love like that? And that's Paul's posture right here. He's saying, I'm running after Christ because Christ made me his own. He's the one who started it. So, church, if you're wondering, why do we run after Christ? We run after him because he first ran after us. We love him because he loved us first. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, next thing I want to hit us with is our present perspective. Our present perspective. One of the things that um, this text does isn't just talk about what Christ has done for us, but it's going to challenge us to live in light of the reality of what Christ has done. And so um, I want us to write and talk a little bit about our present perspective. And so what I want us to see about Paul's perspective is it isn't stuck in the past, and the glory days, but instead he's got to focus on what God's trying to do in him in the present. And here's what, I, here's what I'm learning about my relationship with God. There is literally no room for me to coast in my walk with Jesus Christ. Following Jesus cannot be a passive posture. It has to be an active pursuit. Because at any point in my life, I'm either cultivating a love and affection for Jesus, or I'm drifting towards a life that is going to be separated from his power and his presence. You guys know what that feels like, right? Jesus, it's very possible for Jesus to become like that old friend that all of us have. You guys know that friend. That old friend that we used to hang out with all the time. That old friend that we did lots of amazing things with. That old friend that we would stay up late talking to. That old friend that we miss. That old friend that we don't pick up the phone and connect with anymore because we're just so busy doing us. Jesus can become like that friend. And what Paul is going to say is he's going to say, no, 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 no. Don't live in that past reality Jesus wants to meet you in the presence. We've got to continue to pursue him. Let me, let me build this out for us in verse 13 and 14. Let me read these verses. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, you know Paul's a preacher because I love in verse 13, he says, one thing I do, and he lists three things. I got two more points. Actually, I have nine. Anyways, um, but the words he's using here, the words he's using here are, I'm going to strain forward in 13. And then in, in 14, he says, um, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I press on towards the goal for the prize. And the language he's using here is actually language that's, that's borrowed out of an athletic setting. So, the picture he's painting for the church here is that he's like a runner. Okay, he's not looking back at the ground he covered, he's looking forward at the ground that's ahead. And, and he might be exhausted, he might be tired, he might be starting to cramp up, but he is going to refuse to tap out. He's pressing forward, he's straining. And I love these terms because straining doesn't sound awesome, does it? Straining sounds like a posture. When you are disciplined and you have a goal in mind and you're going places, you strain. When you're watching Netflix, you're not straining, OK? Oh my gosh, my Wi-Fi is not keeping up. There's like a circle, it's not buffering. I'm straining. That's not straining. OK? That's not straining, okay? Yeah <laughs> I don't want to get into this. We could really make this awkward. Anyway, so, you know, my high school coach told me my high school coach told me one time I was like a skinny junior, It was like 165 pounds. He said um, yeah, I know. Somebody said, geez, thank you. That was really helped my insecurities. Um, he said, Chris, if you want to get big, you got to pick up something heavy. Woo! Boy, that was true. If you want to get big, you got to pick up something heavy. And isn't that true? You can't just buy some weights and, like Gavin talked about in the past, get a gym membership and think you're going get, to get buff. You got to actually strain. And I see that reality in Paul that he is saying, I've got a pursuit, I've got a goal. I want to run the race. I want to receive. I want to experience Christ. I want to grow in my godliness, and so I'm going to strain and discipline my body in that way. You know, church. I want to keep it very real. One of the things the joy I get is to, to interact with older, more mature, godly people in this church, and I can tell you that you don't drift into godliness. You don't somehow just coast into spiritual maturity. You don't just somehow age out of patterns of sin and addiction. It's going to take some straining. It takes some spiritual disciplines. Have you ever been around that person who, like, they pray, and it's like they actually have a relationship with Jesus? They, like, have talked to him before, and they, they, they have an intimacy with God. And I always think, did you read a book on prayer? How did you get there? And I ask them, like, it seems like when you talk to God, you have, like, a real relationship with him. And I want that because when I talk to God, I'm like, thank you, thank you, Lord, the sun came up, you know? And I'm like, what are we doing here? Like, that's all the depth I got, you know? And they're like calling down heaven, you know? And I'm like, okay, I want, and you know what? I just realized there's no shortcut. They just said, yeah, I spent years of my life praying, and I got past the awkward time of just, the yeah, I prayed, and it was kind of awkward for a while, and I just kept pressing in and kept pressing in, and now God is more real to me than he's ever been. There's no shortcuts to that. And I think Paul is saying in this his life, he, he's, He's experienced Jesus for 30 years, and he's still saying, I'm going to strain towards what's ahead. Now, let me confess to you, I wish I was really awesome at this. You know, I, I shared with you guys, my, my daughter's been waking up at 5.30, and, and most mornings, it's between 5.30 and 7.30. She likes to keep us guessing, but um, there's really no convenient time in my life uh, to spend time with Jesus, And I know you're like, oh my gosh, you're a pastor. Don't you just show up at the church and read your Bible? Yes, but I'm ADD. And so there's 25 employees, and so there's always somebody to talk to. There's always something to do. There's always an email. There's always a meeting. There's always somebody stopping by. There's always something to do. And then I get in my car, go home, and guess what? The kids are still there, and they want to hang out. And then I get the kids to bed, do bath time, tuck them in. And then my wife is like, hey, I haven't had an adult conversation for 15 hours. So we're going to do this right here, okay? Okay. And um, so we have to zone it in, okay, shut the Netflix off, no NBA playoffs right now, we're, we're talking, okay? And so, um, so we do that thing, and then I go to bed absolutely exhausted, and it, it happens all over the next day, that's what happens. And so what I've realized, though, is if I think I'm just going to find time that I can just coast off of yesterday's spiritual interactions with Jesus, then I'm telling you guys, I personally start to drift from Jesus, And I'm not telling you this because that makes me a bad pastor I'm telling you this because it makes me an empty christian It makes christianity really lame Because I start to miss jesus christ And so gavin just kept me accountable this week Hey, you read your bible today? You spend some time in prayer? I guess what I did I just got back to the basics started journaling (laughs) Just started spending time with god started praying put on some worship music in my basement Stopped doing curls and actually sung to jesus, you know, it's okay. It's great and what I'm saying is, I want to strain like Paul. This is not a legalistic posture. Some of you guys are like, oh my gosh, see, you're just trying to be the impressive Christian. You just want to read your Bible. You just want to be better. You want to impress God. You want to—no, I want to experience Jesus. Is that okay? And if I have to discipline myself to do it, I'll do it. If i got to set my alarm, I'll do it. If i got to get up early, I'll do it. Because it's absolutely worth it to not just coast through Christianity, pretending to be experiencing Jesus, living in the glory days of my faith. I want him right here, right now. Amen? I want to say, church, it is a good and God-honoring thing for you to wake up and spend time with Jesus. It is a good and God-honoring thing for you to actually try to memorize some verses so that you can have the mind of Christ. It is a good and God-honoring thing for you to get into your car at 6 o'clock after a long day's work and drive to somebody's house so you can experience the family of God and not sit on the couch in isolation. It is a good and God-honoring thing for us to be straining. The gospel is free. It frees us from all merit, but I love that Gavin says it doesn't free us from some muscle. Paul talks about being like a farmer who wakes up early and disciplines his life, like an athlete who trains his body, like a soldier who fights with passion and disciplines his whole life because he knows he's in a battle. That should be our posture, Christians. Amen? Amen. Got to have a perspective on the present. Last thing I want to talk to you about is um, I want to talk to you guys about our heavenly identity. What Paul does here is he ends it with saying, this is my posture— This is what I'm calling you to do. Let's press on. Let's hold fast. Let's not retreat. Let's strain forward in our pursuit of Christ. And he ends it with this beautiful promise of Scripture, and he says, listen, before I just talk to you over and over and over again about what you have to do, let me remind you of who you are, because Paul is going to link our spiritual doing to our spiritual being. He's going to link our activity to our spiritual identity. And so I want to get us in this book and show you how he does that. So, Um, Look with me at verse 18 through 20. He says this. For many of whom I have uh, often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior Oh, I'm sorry. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, uh, we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love what Paul does. He says, listen, there's some people with tears in his eyes that don't know Christ and don't live according to Christ's ways. Because, listen, their God is themselves. Their bellies, their physical appetites, the things that are seen, tasted, and touched. Their minds are on earthly things, not heavenly things. So their reality and their value system just looks different for them, their identity is going to be caught up in whatever earth passes on to them. But, but for us Christians, he says, I want to actually invite you to live as a Christian because you're a Christian. <laughs> because you're a citizen of heaven. Do you know what the Bible does? It does tell us to do some things, but it also speaks into who we are. It says, you are a new creation, in Christ Jesus. You're a citizen of heaven. You're a child of God. You're a son or daughter of the king. You're somebody who's hidden in Christ Jesus. So this isn't just primarily about what you do. This is about primarily who you are. Amen? Is that that good news, church? He speaks to who we are. And I want to say this this absolutely matters because it's going to be hard for us to strain forward to pursue Christ if our identity is caught up in worldly things. Let me see how this plays out. In junior high, you guys remember junior high? Everybody's trying to figure out where do I fit in? Right? There's this massive identity crisis at like 13. You got hormones, acne, braces, bad haircuts, and you're like, where do I belong? You know, it's just a horrible time of life. And, um, and I'll remember that because in, in, in junior high, you kind of got to make a decision. You got to be like the artistic kid who's in drama and plays instruments. You got to be the smart kid who has a big calculator and a whole bunch of books. You know, you got to make honor roll, or you got to be like the jock. You know, you got all Nike gear, just letting everybody know you're going to be a baller someday. I mean, so, and when you get into the lunchroom, what happens? Everybody's kind of hanging out with their little sect, right? You got the kids playing hacky sack in the corner, you know, and you're like, what are they doing? It's not even a varsity sport, you know, but, but that's so sorry. Some of you guys are like, I was going to play this afternoon. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> got weird. Got weird. But, um, but see, this is the, this is the game the world plays. This is the game we world plays. You're like, oh, we outgrew that, Chris. We only did that in junior high. We're so past that. We're mature. No, we evolved. You know how we play this game now? What part of the city you live in? Oh, you're Midtown? Oh, you like to drink real coffee, not Starbucks, like you're local, so cool. You're in the suburbs, you must like a big yard, probably wasteful, you know? I mean, like, oh, you drink beer? Me too, what kind? I'm more of like a Miller Lite dude. Oh, I drink $4 imports, because that's me. Oh, cool, yeah, way to go, dude. You're hungry? What do you want to eat? I'm more of like a salad with raisins guy. I'm more of like a McDonald's guy, you know? I mean, it's like, oh, you're a foodie? Oh, you don't care about the chemicals they put in your food? I mean, it's like, (laughs) really? This is the game we play. This is the game we play. All of a sudden, it's not about the jocks and the nerds and the artistic kids. It's about all this other stuff. And you know what the world wants to do? You are going to be defined by something externally your job your relationship status your zip code your, how much you make how many how many kids you have what's your kid what, how many how many kids you have that play varsity sports oh your kid got a scholarship oh that makes me a somebody we all want to define ourselves by these external realities when jesus is saying christian don't play that game it ends in destruction you're not going to be a ceo in a thousand years You're not going to be the guy who ate salads in a thousand years. You're going to be worshiping King Jesus and bowing at his feet. Don't get caught up in that game. You're a citizen of heaven. So that means, Christian, you got to remember who you are and whose you are so you can live properly in this day. And this matters. And you think, oh, that's cute. Okay, I'll think differently. I'm going to try to remember that. Let me tell you. You will never share your faith. Ever if your identity is being the cool kid, because following Jesus and boasting about what Christ has done with you is going to cost you some social cred. And if your identity is being the cool girl, you'll never make much of Jesus. If your identity is being the successful person with a big house and lots of money in your account, you will never be generous with your money because your identity is going to be tied to what you have in a bank account. Not what Christ has given you in the personal work of Jesus Christ. So God is going to say, let this go. And you're going to say, no, I can never let this go because this is the thing that defines me. Christian, is not the thing that defines you. Jesus Christ is the thing that defines you. And you need to repent and say, Jesus, I'm a citizen of heaven. Help me to live in light of who you've made me to be. Amen? Amen. Don't play that game. Let me end with this. I want to just get personal. I want to ask you. In this season of your life, what would it like like for us to actually obey these words, forgetting forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what's ahead? For some of you, God gave you a passion to care about the poor, the refugees, to mentor young married couples. God gave you a dream to care about foster kids, to to adopt people from around the nations, to pray hard for the nations, to be a, a giver. God gave you a heart, gave gave you a passion, God gave you a calling, God gave you this vision of ministry, and you have been living in the glory day saying, I remember when I actually did that, and you have been coasting and doing nothing about it in this season. I want to say, Christian, do you know that Jesus Christ is alive? He is here in the present, and he wants to write another chapter of your story. I want to ask you, would you believe him, and would you let him do it? For some of you guys, you have been flirting with sin. Sin is no surprise to you. You know where you're weak, and you have been cultivating it and playing in it and tolerating it. And I want to say, what would it look like in this season of your life if you throw off that stuff, stop tolerating your sin and start battling your sin by the power of Christ Jesus, saying, I want to fight. I want to experience victory. I know I'm going to blow it, and I'm going to be imperfect, but I don't want to just lay down and let sin dominate me any longer. I want to strain forward towards Christ. What would that look like? For some of you guys, you've you've heard the very voice of Jesus as you've spent time in his word. You know how sweet that is when you feel like God's actually speaking to you? When it's just you and Jesus in that room, when it's just you and Jesus in that car, when it's just you and Jesus, what would it look like for you to be in that place in the present and stop living off of some discipleship material you got in high school and start experiencing fresh discipleship from Jesus in this day? It's going to be costly. It's not complicated, but it is costly. And I want to invite us, church, and say, it's absolutely worth it. On a corporate level, City Light, I want to challenge us to never be a Glory Days church. Gavin and I were just talking about this this week. You know, it was so easy for City Light to say, remember the days back in the chapel when we were small, just a, a group of, just a couple friends, and we prayed, and we ate donuts, and we painted, and it was crazy, and we saw so many people come to know Christ, and then we took that step, and we planted a church, and we planted another church, and we did this thing, and we were so generous, and we had each other in each other's homes. Man, well, that was such a fun thing. Back in the day. But I think we want to get to the very end when you kick us out as pastors at some point and say, hey, you ran your race. Thanks, man, but go away. That's going to happen, and that's going to be fine as long as we're still a church taking radical steps of faith saying, I want to strain forward. Amen? Amen. God has some fresh steps of faith for us in this season. And I want us to say, Jesus, whatever it is, we will strain forward as a church. We will give. We will serve. We will pray. We will go because Christ Jesus, I don't want to just coast. I want to experience you in the present amen let's pray well jesus the good news of this text to me is that father you've reminded me of who i am who we are we are citizens of heaven we're children of the king we've been adopted and so god i thank you christ jesus for those of us who are in this room and and you've looked at us and you said i'm gonna make you mine you're mine so god thank you for the grace that you've shown us the reality that jesus you sought us when we were running from you, whether that was in rebellion or whether that was in religion, we were drifting and far from you. And Christ, you made us your own. So God, thank you for that. And I pray for our church right now that we would not be a church that coasts. We would not be disciples that get comfortable and settle for a glory day's Christianity, but would we live in the presence and be experiencing you. God, you promised that if we seek you, you will find us and you will draw near to those who draw near to you. And so Christ Jesus, for this week right now, For those of us in this room that are saying, God, I want to press on. I don't want to settle for some old stuff back in the day. I want you right now. I want you here. I want victory in this moment. I want healing in this moment. God, I want fresh anointing and power in this moment. God, would you meet us in that place, and would you be faithful to encourage your church? pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.